Three, two, one. Whoa! Oh, nice, Sarah. Oh, wow. <laughs> there is. Oh, Robin, you said you needed a new notebook, didn't you? I did. Oh, wait, I stopped you for a paperclip. A fancy paperclip. How about Ooh. that? Or is it a bookmark? I said maybe it's a bookmark. Yeah. Guys, these are for children. Oh, no, there you go. Okay. Hats on, I'm afraid. Oh, well. I've got a tiny envelope as like a mini bribe. Oh, is that it? Oh, no. Oh, it's got cards in it. Oh, it's a card trick. That'll bore you all. I thought you'd just got a tiny envelope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be brilliant, wouldn't it? These really were not the cheapest track records I could find. <laughs> Here's a piece of paper. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you still got ID for them though. So. I know, I did, yeah. Well, anyway. Hello and welcome to the Christmas special of Attention Seekers, the podcast from Performance Marketing World, where we get to know who's seeking attention in the industry and how they're doing it. In this week's episode, which is the final episode of the year, I am joined by PMW's editorial team to talk about our favourite marketing moments of the year. In the studio today, we have our editor, Robin Langford, our associate editor, Sarah Dennis, and me, Lucy Shelley, reporter at PMW. Well, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, everyone. Hello, Robin and Sarah. How are you doing? Feeling very festive now. Well, it's hard not to feel that festive with the, the amount of snow that's outside at the moment. Tell me about it. It's, it's such a beautiful scene out there, though, in some ways. Mm. Even if um, everyone's moaning about the commutes this morning, it's worth it, right? Well, in this very special episode, we are going to talk through some of our favourite marketing moments of the whole year, which now when I think about it, is actually a really long time, all the way back to January of last year. There's so much has happened. So we're just going to highlight for you a few things that we think worth bringing up again in this final episode. So Robin, let's start with you. What has been your favourite marketing moment this year? Uh, well, like you say, Lucy, it's been absolutely, there's a huge amount of news happened this year. When we actually look back on it, it's like, uh, there's lots to cover. Um, so a quick roll call of, of some of the biggest stories of the year. Obviously, Elon Musk buying Twitter was somehow terrifying and hilarious at the same time, seeing the richest man in the world essentially now becoming Twitter tech support and answering everyone's question on a social media channel. Also, Netflix and Disney+, Plus, two of the biggest video streaming platforms in the world, now going into advertising with hybrid ad models. That's another huge thing. We didn't think that was going to happen. But my pick for the first pick for this year is... Well, it wasn't the Oxford word of the year. It was the Oxford, it was the runner-up for the Oxford word of the year. Yeah, the, the, the first one was, uh, the word of the year was actually goblin mode, which I intend on doing this Christmas. I mean, I've never even heard of goblin mode. Yeah. Aren't, aren't they normally meant to be po- mo- most popular or well, I, emergent? I, I don't know. but or, or the word that everyone is saying and the, the yeah, trendy, trendy word. Yeah. And the fact, the fact that Robin had to explain to me what goblin mode was. Yeah, which is basically being slovenly and not doing anything and being lazy and going into goblin mode. That makes um, more sense now. Also shows why we don't know about it, Lucy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we incredibly hard work yeah. journalists. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the runner-up uh, was probably more talked about this year, which was metaverse um, mm. and that causes a lot of debate within the performance marketing industry and you'll know about that Lucy on attention seekers mm. but the one story that caught my eye most quite literally uh, with the metaverse this year was meta itself launching its new uh, MetaQuest pro headset and what was fascinating about that was it had 16 cameras on it um, and it cost about one and a half grand so it's a bit out of most people's price ranges mm. at the moment 
But those 16 cameras, most of them are faced outwards to improve people's experience in the metaverse. But three of those cameras are faced inwards, as in they are facing your eyes. And um, the reason why this is interesting is that everyone that uses that now has to sign a consent form um, with an eye-tracking privacy notice, which is there to, in, in quotes, improve the user's experience. But that is often code for serving adverts. So what we're getting is a whole new level of attention metrics where Meta can measure what you're looking at in the Metaverse. So if you see, see an avatar in your little world and you look at their trainers and they're particularly cool they might be an nft they've bought or something and you look at it for a little bit longer than usual meta can say oh you're interested in that and it can start <laughs> serving you um ads or vouchers to get a discount on those and you haven't clicked anything um you just looked and i think that is a whole new level of attention that's that's coming down the line i mean it's it, it is kind of scary, I think. When you explain it like that, it does make it sound very futuristic. But I think people have to remember it is, it's a, it's a trade-off, isn't it? It's a data value transaction where people are willing to give up this data to receive relevant ads and have a better experience of the internet. Well, people are much more likely to treat their own data as currency these days than ever before. And they're going to make advertisers work for it. So mm. in some ways, that sort of innovation... I mean, I know when Robin first talked about this uh, this this issue a little while back, he actually uh, did a poll on on like, cool versus creepy. Oh, okay, yeah. So, what do we think, guys? Do we think cool or do we think Ooh. creepy? I think it, I'm a fan of the show Black Mirror, and it reminds me of that kind of world. So, it is a bit creepy. I think there's an education thing that needs to go on both for the advertiser and mm. the consumer um, in terms of what where that line is and. The, the whole metaverse virtual reality is a bit of an untested world right now. So it'd be interesting to see how this evolves, but it certainly shows what's coming down the line, the level um, of measurements we can get that will no longer rely on clicks. It will just be what our, our eyes are going. Yeah. I'm going to say cool, but scary. No, I don't, it's, yeah, I don't like it, but I, I, oh, I don't really know, actually. <laughs> what about you, Sarah? <laughs> I'd like to say cool, providing it's not happening to me. Um, if I'm honest with you, mm. but I can see the innovation behind it. I can see how um, it can benefit, but I can also see how people can feel a little bit invaded. Not, I wouldn't go as far as violated by any stretch of the mm. imagination because they've made the choice um, to, to enter that world. But I do think that they're... <sighs> Where, do, where does the line get drawn mm. in terms of tracking your every move, even to where your eyes are flitting? Yeah, but I mean, as you said, Robin, it is about education. And I think as people realise this is a, like you said, a kind of transaction, then it all seems a little less scary and creepy. Sarah, what is, what is your favourite marketing moment of the year? What have you come to bring to the table with today? Oh, to the table uh well robin's kind of touched on it already with regards to um something we never thought we'd see happen but one thing that's just really grabbed me this year is the rise of ads on streaming services so we've all heard about netflix we've talked nothing about but netflix i guess for the past few months now particularly with the announcement of their pricing and people's mm. uh, reactions to that but the one that i think that got quite a lot of talking points was when disney plus announced that they were going to move to ad supported streaming um it actually launched last week so quite timely as mm. well um and i know the reason it got talking points was primarily because if you were a consumer or a subscriber to disney plus you were actually going to have to pay more 
to get rid of those ads. Mm-hmm. So from a outside looking consumer perspective, you're paying more to get the same service. Same thing, yeah. However, I think it's fair to say that people are more receptive of ads than they were. And there's quite a lot of data, and I say this is my you know, my data head on, that backs up the fact that people will be more receptive to ads in their viewing than they will increases in subscription prices amongst the cost of living mm-hmm. um, issues, the economic uh, crisis, inflation, and so on. The primary reason isn't for cancelling subscriptions. So obviously we're hearing quite a lot about people cancelling their, sub- their sub-services, it's not because the ads being shown, it's because they want to save money. Mm-hmm. So the message, I think, for these streaming services, which, quite frankly, they all already know, is that content is still going to be king. Yeah. And actually, an ad or two there, if the content is good enough, is not going to turn people off. I think where it's going to get interesting is if there's going to be any move into targeting okay, those yeah. ads and personalising those ads, depending on what you're viewing. Because... In almost every other medium, personalization is demanded. Mm-hmm. Um, so where these streaming services will go from here will be quite exciting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it is interesting that it has to, they will always be content first because it's always, oh, have you, se- have you seen this? Like, oh, well, yeah. no, it's on Disney Plus and yeah. I haven't got a subscription to that. <laughs> but that's what makes you want to do it. It's that, almost that from FOMO in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you brought up CPMs and that was that was interesting because... Netflix came in with uh, the most ridiculous uh, CPM. I think it was higher than Super Bowl ads. Yeah, and yeah, that's right. Then someone went, uh, advertisers or someone went back to Netflix saying that's ridiculous. That's far too high. And then they said, "Oh, okay, <laughs> all right then. <laughs> let, let, let's let's it down." And they've been. It's almost been a negotiation between Netflix and its advertisers, which has been a really interesting dynamic to see. Do you, would you say that it was kind of arrogant? Of Netflix to assume... Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. To assume that demand for their service was so... Yeah, and I can see why they've done it. I think they've got a right to be arrogant. Mm. But it was a a test, I think, for them to see how how much can we... How much money can we make out of this? Well, I just think it's going to be such an interesting thing to watch over the next 12 months. But, you know, not feeling left out. And Lucy, as the host of Attention Seekers, you've you've been privy to so many marketing moments for, you know, both your own and our guests. So give us one standout. Well, my favourite marketing moment actually harks back to our very first Attention Seekers episode back in March of this year with Robert Langford. Uh, And... We talked about a lot of things. The episode itself was called Fat Cat Art, Hollywood Villains and Wordle. So that just kind of explains the variety of things we were talking about. And Robin's interest in life. (laughs) (laughs) Very self-indulgent. But um, it was an advert from the Super Bowl this year, which was from Coinbase. And it was a QR code bouncing across the screen, changing colour which is an allusion to, is it the DVD video? I can't remember what the brand was that used to bump around. I know The Office oh, also yeah. made it very uh, famous because they will always watch it bump around and you wait for it to get to the corner where it <laughs> changes colour twice or something. Completely ridiculous, but us humans are very easily entertained. <laughs> but it, got, it was so measurable because it was a QR code. And then because it got everyone's attention so easily, the site actually crashed from the amount of traffic that was trying to go to the site. And I think it's so interesting within the context of performance marketing, this retro 
kind of look that everyone's now trading off now. I think it's because of all the new technology that is coming into the space. Everyone wants to take a step back and kind of reverse slightly. And uh, yes, yeah, so I'll harken back to this retro time of the 60s, 70s, 80s. Well, it's funny you should say that, actually. I think, I mean, everyone loves a bit of nostalgia. Everyone really loves to sort of think of way back when. Mm. But, um, you know, I recently published, we recently published an article on PMW that um, was a bit of, it was a survey of UK shoppers. And it not only did they want to relive the ads of the 80s and 90s with the nostalgic jingles and that sort of everything that was always stuck in your head, whether it was cool or annoying, mm -hmm. they wanted to shop as if they did in the 80s and 90s and go back to that sort of mall experience and those sort of afternoons out um, in terms of like the shopping space. Mm -hmm. And rather weirdly in my mind, because I'm still sort of unclear on how you can even use them, people are actually buying retro as well. So they're buying the HS tapes, they're buying Etch-a-Sketches, if anyone remembers them. Mm. And... So I think you're right, Lucy, going back to that point around so much technology coming into the space. It's not that people don't want to embrace it, but they do want to feel a little bit as if they've, they, they can go back. A They're comfortable in it as well. Yeah. It's almost a way to kind of help understand, ease the transition. Because, you know, the metaverse, which everyone has talked about this year, most people that I have spoken to, especially on attention seekers, they all call it overrated. Mm. But people say it's just not there yet. It's too early. It's too early and I think there's just a lack of understanding about how it's going to work IRL, um, <laughs> to be honest with you. And I think the point of going back to, I mean, I'm quite heartened because I think 60s fashion has been a mainstay in terms of retro forever. But the fact that as an 80s child, we are going back to the 80s and 90s, mm. even the fashion. Media Vision actually showed me some stats around the search volumes around apparel in the summer and 80s fashion search terms so 80s fashion glitter sparkle th those sort of search terms were up 120 percent 90s now come on who who remembers the shell suits the brit pop the grunge that was all up by sort of triple digit as well so i think everyone is sort of harking back to or everyone is sort of i guess my generation is harking back to a time that they knew and i think everyone is even within gen z's and millennials as well um pinterest for their prediction report for this year, so their predictions for next year, um, have said that 90s and Y2K, their searches are increasing a lot on their platform as well. So it, it, I think amongst every generation, everyone is harking back to this, this older time. Yeah, yeah, I think people really want that, still yearn for that sort of tangible thing that you're not necessarily mm. getting from the metaverse. When I, when I looked at what, how to describe what NFTs are, the thing that really unlocked it for me was when I when I saw some of these sort of ticket stubs that were kind of shiny and things like that, and it, it made me heart back to those Panini stickers of the '90s that I used to collect. They were like shiny for like the World Cup, and you get the badges, and they look really special. And they'd, they'd be like special, like one of a kind type things. And that's kind of what NFTs are trying to mm. emulate. And once you start to realise that, they look a bit, they look a bit different, they look a bit unique. Um, I think that's. Part of what the metaverse is trying to replicate, um, and we'll see how far it gets along the line. Like you say, it's it's some way to go. Well, back to you, Robin, for your next favourite marketing moment of the year. What do you, what do you want to talk about as we are slowed in right now, cosy in the studio? It's cold outside. <laughs> um, well, I, I was looking at some of the campaigns of the year, and one that struck me particularly from a performance marketing aspect was uh, one from Apple called Data Auction. 
Uh, and I recommend our, our listeners look this one up uh, on YouTube. What I liked about it is that often our struggle writing about this industry is it's quite hard to visualise what's going on. And they did it quite beautifully, actually, with this advert, uh, where they actually followed a woman with an iPhone and she goes through a door and she's in this big auction house and they're all bidding on her own data and they're listing different things, her, her holiday preferences, uh, what she's searching for and all these people are bidding on it. And that's a really interesting visualisation on on biddable media, on programmatic. Um, it did put it in a negative light because the whole idea with Apple at the moment is they are trying to push their privacy credentials versus other major tech platforms to the to the level where their iOS 14 and uh, and their different um, privacy initiatives have have uh, affected Facebook so much that Facebook have, have blamed 10 billion pounds of their losses this year on Apple's privacy um, issues making their audience go dark. So I think this advert is really interesting, probably one of the more interesting ones of this year. But there's another side to it, which I think it's not quite as one-sided as Apple would want you to think, because this year we also uncovered in our reporting that there was a job ad uh, that Apple put out earlier this year where they are looking to build out their own, what was essentially a demand-side platform, which is uh, an automated platform for advertisers to buy ads on Apple's spaces. I think the general conclusion with Apple is it really cares about privacy, but only in the sense that it wants to hurt its rivals, use it as a mm. weapon in a sense. <laughs> but um, but when it comes to um, using data of their customers to sell ads on their own platforms, they, they are a bit more liberal with it to the point where they're building their own ad tech now, which is quite an interesting area. Recently, Apple have worked with um, Major League Baseball. So that's a great area for advertisers would be really interested in. So it'll be interesting to see how that expands over the next year. Um, and it's, I'd say it's a good sign that Privacy isn't always as clear-cut as tech providers would like you to think. No, I mean, it's it's very complex. But it's interesting what you say about Apple trying to go against its rivals in a way. Do you, do you, th- do you see any changes with Apple's power over the industry over the next year? Or do you think it, they're still going to be top dog? <laughs> I think they'll always be a major player. They, they had a massive comeback in the 90s and have, have stayed there ever since. And they have a particular dominance over the US markets and stuff with um Apple as an operating system, iOS versus Android, um, whereas it's not so well established in Asia and the UK and Europe. But I think it'll be interesting to see how they tackle the evolution of customer data and whether they can stick so clearly to being um, the sort of privacy advocate as they say they will be. And they're definitely more of a dark horse to watch with all the other big tech companies in terms of what they're doing with data. Yeah, presumably everyone's going to be looking at this over the next, well, if they're not already, which they should be, they're they're going to be continuing to look at this over the next year and their own innovations and solutions to try and, I don't think, yeah, I don't think we write off Apple in terms of a powerhouse, but I don't think they're going to be as dominant as they think they might be in terms of using privacy as a weapon. Interesting, interesting. Well, Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Sarah, for for coming on Attention Seekers and talking through your favourite marketing moments of the year. But I think we should, and now we've now we've cracked these crackers. Yeah. Who doesn't want to hear the the, the jokes that we've got? <laughs> um, probably <laughs> every one of our listeners. Yeah, that's definitely a rhetorical <laughs> question, that isn't it? Oh, I hate this bit. Oh, right. Okay, Sarah, take it take it away. What's your joke? Knock knock. Who's there? Arthur. Arthur who? Are there any mince pies left? That doesn't even make grammatical sense. I know. <laughs> it's not my joke. That was the editor in you, Robin. All right, give us yours, Robin. 
What's the best present in the world? I don't know, Robin. What is the best present in the world? A broken drum. You just can't beat it. Bottom. <laughs> that, that's a working drum. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, oh, uh, this is it's, okay. Save the best for last. Come on. <laughs> what do ducks do before their Christmas dinner? I don't know, Lucy. What do ducks do before their Christmas dinner? Pull their Christmas quackers. Oh. <laughs> I feel like I can't read it without sounding like an idiot either. No, <laughs> you, you have to put the, well, not you, but all of us have to put the theatrical voice on with these sorts of things. But mm. anyone that opens a Christmas cracker at the Christmas table is used to it by now. Well, thank you, Robin. Thank you, Sarah. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. And if you want to find out more about the news and trends from global brands, agencies and platforms in the performance marketing industry, register with us on our website, performancemarketingworld.com. But until then, see you next year. Bye, everyone. Happy Christmas.